Only minimal screw-ups today, folks. I mean, it's pretty on-brand, though, right? Not no screw-ups. Not no screw-ups. And by on-brand, let me correct myself. That's not the Trimark brand. That's the Danny brand. The Danny brand is just chock-full of screw-ups. Well, happy Friday, everybody. I mean, honestly, when you do something so much kind of hard like no matter how bad it is to not be a little proud of your consistency like I may have done a thing but at least I'm doing it a lot happy Friday everybody welcome to what you consistent we know what to expect and consistently devil interrupt my introductions to the show I I know that so at least we have that We'll always have that. Good Friday, everybody. My name is Danny Akoski with the Twitch Trimark Happy Hour. But Danny isn't happy hour at like 4 p.m. on some days or 6 p.m. It's happy hour some sometime everywhere. Uh, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? Happy Friday. It is 2 p.m. Eastern and what? 11? No. Yeah, it's 11 a.m. Pacific. Quick, Jake, what time is it in UTC? What kind of analyst are you? Come on, come on. Something. Come on. No, you fail. <laughs> it ends in the 12. Right? Right. It ends in something like Is that. Is it at 7? It's not 7 12 there? Uh, I usually have a clock that has UTC around here somewhere because I've, I've, I've fancied my. Well, with gotcha questions like that, I like to have the answer so that uh, I can make. Uh, I have it have it in my max widget thing on the side and I didn't look. I forgot I'd done that. Yes, 7 12. So I can make. Now. Yeah. So I can make uh, Jake look even worse than he is. Thanks, dude. Volume two is today. If you joined us last week, we had volume one, Hacking Demystified. There's a lot to there's a lot to talk about when it comes to that, right? You can't you can't boil the ocean with that kind of thing. And by the way, I'm super upset that I now use terms like boil the ocean. It's just because you read Christina's blog post this morning, isn't it? It's pre- it's mostly that. Uh but so help me God, if you ever hear me actually use the phrase, open the kimono. Um, no. Shoot me. All right, I'm going to write that one down. Hold on. Shoot me dead. I, I think Danny's trying to be more synergistic. No. I was going to say, we all need to start like using that term so it becomes like a, a buzzword that he then picks up and then starts using, you know, without realizing it. So uh, like we, have a, we all have a plan here. I always use I always use twenty exclamation points when communicating with Danny. All right, listen. If you you know no, I we have a guest. We we have company today, and I'm you're not going to derail me on things that I hate. <laughs> Who is our guest anyway? The way, there's no echo coming from me, right? Because every time someone talks, I see my thing light up, but I have my thing going through my no. roadcaster, so I'm just making sure. Okay, okay. No echo for you, sir. Good. Good. You want some? He's actually working. <laughs> yeah, I, I could erase some echo here. Uh, who are you again? What do you do? Why are you here? That's disrespectful just, as shit. This is hacking Dave, everybody. Make Dave. I just, I just thought this is a. I thought this was just an open server I could join here. Man. <laughs> <laughs> he just found his way in. Sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> he, the Mr. Dave Kennedy. He, AKA, you know, thanks like, so much for having me on. Seriously, I look forward to it. 
a big fan of you folks and what you've been doing and uh love to be on this podcast and well whatever is is, is it not it's not really a podcast right it's like a well stream, so. funny you should ask <laughs> anymore really yeah is it a pod is it a pod is it twitch is it is it a stream is it like you know what do you what's the the cool hit term nowadays i i don't know it's uh, hybrid streaming hybrid is a good word okay yes how how markety of you sean Hybrid. Synergistic hybrid streaming. Coming to you live. New, new paradigm, right? From the interwebs. Um was it, well actually no, funny you should mention that because technically it is a podcast because we now do the audio and upload it to Spotify. So See? anybody listening See? on Spotify or Apple Podcasts right now, welcome. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. TrimarkSecurity.com for all your active directory, virtualization, uh purple teaming, and uh, Azure AD services. Hey, look, I got all those from memory. Um, I thought you had that written down for sure. No, <laughs> I really don't. I spent a lot of my day like looking at that stuff. Uh, no, uh, that's really all. It's, I, I hear it in my sleep. I'm writing copy in my sleep. Um, no, I wanted to have Dave on. So, la- la- so last week, to get to the point without uh, without me pontificating too much more, we talked uh, Dev and I, a.k.a. Bad Code, also with us on the stream. Um we were talking about different, uh, obviously, topics to keep things fresh and things like that. And, like, there are no shortage of them. But his idea was, like, let's try and demystify hacking, right? Because, like, I, as I mentioned in the first episode of this series, uh, have taken all of my cues from Swordfish. Uh, so. Uh, highly, highly accurate, by the way. So good, good model oh, yeah. to go offer. Yeah. I, I, I was like, you know what? Uh, if this is just all dancing around with a wine bottle. Uh, and creating uh, um, uh, sweet UIs for viruses, count me in. Um, But, yeah, we talked a lot about how, especially with Hollywood and things like that, we really get this vision in our heads. And then that also doesn't just seep into the general populace. Like, that seeps into enterprise. That seeps in to your executive team. That seeps into the decision makers who think a thing is one way, and then you have to go, no, 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 here's actually how this works so i thought who better uh than to bring on um Dave, are you i always forget your title as you do so many things are you ceo of both binary and trusted no i'm, I'm actually the the yeah i guess the official title is founder and chief hacking officers of of both binary and trusted so i uh i focus more on the overall strategy and vision of the companies and you know, have some great leaders in place and they all kind of pour through me and on the company well so good leaders i don't have to be the ceo i, don't, I didn't like that title anyway no, yeah, no, one, no one really wants to be a CEO. I, and when you found a no, company, you can make up whatever title you want, right, Dave? That's right. That's, I, I switch every time. I'm like, hey, I'll be chief hacking officer today. I'll be whatever. So it's it's awesome. <laughs> By the way, Sean, your audio is really hot for some reason. Is your mic? Uh, is that better? A little lower. Wow. Okay. I is mean, you sounded hot is to this me. Better? You know I mean, yeah, I, I, <laughs> you said it sounded hot. I was like, yeah, it kind of does sound kind of hot. But it is. Know. Is that better? Yes, that is much better. Um, yelling at, at Dave. Are you going into Danny ASMR likes when you whisper in his ass. Dave, when's the first time you ever actually touched a computer? Like, when's the first time you got your hands on one and was like, I wonder what this thing can do? You know, I uh, I look at uh, probably my dad was, was the best influence on me with computers. Uh, he uh, was a spray paint salesman, uh, actually. And, but he was always really into computers and uh, he had a, a spout of being unemployed for several years. She paid for him to go back to school and get his MCSE. 
um, which allowed him to reshift and become a systems administrator and really kind of change our lives because, you know, it was kind of kind of tough there for a while. And, um, you know, during that period of time, we got our first laptop. And, uh, I remember uh, it was sorry, our first desktop, not laptop, our first desktop. And, uh, you know, we uh, got, you know, got to run Doom and figure out how to install that and got to run some of the early, early video games. And then we started getting really into um, bulletin board systems uh, back in the day, you know, doing text-based games like uh, Trade Wars, Telerina, uh, a lot of the text-based uh, MUDs and things like that. And um, that's where I really started really enjoying computers. In fact, um, story about me is I actually failed out of high school and had to take summer school just to graduate because I didn't like school. I thought it was stupid. I just wanted to play on computers and figure things out. So, you know, I was teaching myself programming. I was teaching myself networking. I ran my own MUD that had over, you know, 2,000 people playing it. I did all the coding, you know, for that and decided, well, why do I need school anyway? I'm okay, I can run this stuff. So uh, I decided to go into the military and the military intelligence side. Uh, and that's when I kind of started my career. But my dad was really the inspiration uh, for uh, learning it. And, you know, at a young age, I really enjoyed anything that was technology. I remember taking apart my Teddy Ruxpin, uh, you know, to figure out how it worked and all the mechanics behind it and then build it back up again, which I think I broke the first one. And my, my parents were super pissed because it was like super expensive. And then, you know, the second one, I, I was actually, I figured out how to disassemble and reassemble it and get it to work back and forth and figure out how everything works. So, you know, for me, technology has always been something that uh, I've loved. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, my parents were, were a good inspiration for that. So is the Teddy Ruxpin as um, just frightening on the inside as it is on the outside? <laughs> More so, I, I bet. <laughs> you know, uh, I may or may not have modified it quite a bit to sound even more horrible as you play the the, the tape cassettes. Uh, so I can make it do like different voices and you know things like that. So um, you know that was always great. Uh, but yes, it is horrible on the inside. Uh, you know, it's definitely a lot of. I'm sure it, it probably contained like you know cancer causing stuff like that back in the day. But it was it was it was well worth it. What it for your enjoyment? Yeah, I actually I actually saw one of those Teddy Ruxpins on a on a shelf at Target. And of course, it never occurred to me that somebody had actually messed with those types of things before. And I was getting ready to buy it until I saw it was like a two hundred dollar price tag uh, for them now. Like, I don't think what? I want to. I want to hack on that bad enough. <laughs> what kid is? What parents buying the kid a two hundred dollar toy back then? It Jesus. No, it wasn't. It wasn't back then. No, it's now. It, now you can't. You got. Yeah, it was out. Yeah. Like literally, I it was at Target like the no, other week. No, I saw back one. then. Back then, it might have been like thirty or forty bucks for for a thing of rocks or something. Yeah. Like, Inflation. Was, <laughs> inflation. It's still expensive. Yeah. <laughs> what was your bit like? What was your, what was your biggest? So like I had talked about, you know, the obviously big chasm between Hollywood and actual hacking. Like, what surprised you? The like, did you have expectations like about what it would be like to actually like think of yourself as a hacker? Like what it actually entailed versus like what you end up doing? Like, ver like seeing you know seeing the Gibson pop up versus your scan failing for the eight hundredth time. Well, if you if you see my tattoo here, I got the uh, 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 yeah. No, it's yeah, it. almost turned. Okay. Anyways, it was it's it's this pretty much. Anyways, um, which you know, hackers was a huge uh, inspiration for me, uh, growing up. You know, just the the mentality of you know hackers being able to kind of change their world, force their world, you know, access to free information, that type of stuff. So, you know, I think you know I always had the perception that hackers was you know the Gibson and stuff like that. And you know, as time kind of went on. It kind of still is. I mean, it, 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 granted, you don't have the visuals, but the excitement, the understanding of how things were built and being able to tear it apart and figure things out or misconfigurations like that puzzle piece. You know, um, you know, a lot of people give the offensive security folks a lot of shit for, 
I might wait. Sorry, a lot of stuff for. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll fix it in post, Dave. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, you know, for the try harder mentality, and I understand why. Like we've come a long ways in our industry, but that that mentality actually really came out of. You know, you had to as a hacker early on. There wasn't you know uh, articles other than things like in French or you know tutorials or video instruction sets of how to do things. You really had to understand the the foundational technology and you know, the code and figure out ways to get around it. And, you know, that that foundational understanding wasn't something you could really just say, like, hey, this is how you teach that you had because you were figuring out new things that had never happened before. And so I think during that period of time, you know, the, the time that I came in, you know, the you know, around the, the, the you know, late 90s, uh, early 2000s was kind of a, an interesting time because, you know, there wasn't tutorials, there wasn't college classes, there wasn't anything like that. So it was really brand new field and no one really knew what that meant and honestly i mean defcon you know from a conference perspective was just like hackers you know like you'd go there and you know people are there with mohawks and you had rendermen with you know the you know the wireless packs on and everything the you know it, it was it was what you would expect hackers to be and and uh you know obviously we formalized we've become a lot better we're you know uh, an industry now and uh you know but a lot of those folks re really paved the way and you know get some of my you know old-time heroes like the Schmoo Group and CDC and those folks, you know, that really kind of forged the way for, for a lot of us. It's just, it was a really cool time that I was a part of that we got to learn a lot, but also kind of forged the next generation of hackers. And, you know, now we're forging the next next generation of hackers. It's hard to use buzzwords, I guess. But, um, you know, these are the types of things that I think are really exciting for our industry, but it really hasn't changed. You still have to be creative. You still have to figure things out. You still have to, you know, understand the foundational technologies. We just have a lot more information now about those, which is cool. What would you say f would be like your your for for somebody? We, we kind of covered this last time. Um, and anybody else, feel free to hop in, Sean. I don't think you're on this for the last time, uh, but now that I have you two here, um, for the person sitting there, maybe they're just getting into the industry. Maybe they're not in the industry at all. Because I think a big uh, uh, misunderstanding is people think that every hacker works in infosec. Or that everybody in InfoSec is a hacker, right? Like some people, some of the most dangerous people I know, they work in like pharmaceuticals or, you know, like some other unrelated field. Uh, person who's sitting there that wants to get into this, like what are your, like, where do they start, right? Like where do they even begin to like get past all of the, like this like uh, 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 screen of leetness that's been put before them? You know, uh, I think the, the biggest thing to recognize is that, uh, Yes, there's a lot of cool people that have done cool research before in the past, and you can absolutely be part of that. I remember um, going to DEF CON and being like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, you know, Fidor or, you know, you know, Schmoo Group. I remember seeing you know, Bruce on stage, and he had built this, like, UPS box that looked just like a UPS, but it really was a real, basically, you know, basically was a transparent VPN. This is, you know, early 2000s, and, you know, you could do physical assessments and drop things. I'm like, man, these guys are the coolest guys ever. They're super smart. I'll never be like them. I'll never be able to know that, you know, the type of stuff they do. And I think the interesting part is that, you know, if you, one, make security your hobby, you enjoy doing it. Uh, and I'm not saying make work your life. Uh, that's not, not what I'm saying. But but enjoy what you do. I think you will be successful at anything, regardless if it's in hacking or security or anything else. And um, I just found a passion for that stuff and eventually, you know, started releasing my own tools, open source, and, and helping others out and getting knowledge out there. Um, and I think that really, you know, was able to do. And I think kids getting into not just kids but people trying to make a, a a a change in careers and things like that there's so much information out there it can really feel like you're lost in what you want to do the biggest advice i could give is that 
you know, find something that is an interest topic for you, whether that's incident response forensics or reverse engineering or exploit development or penetration testing or application security and home in on those subjects. You know, you, there's plenty of time to learn other things, but home in on those subjects and kind of, you know, focus on that as kind of your hobby that you enjoy doing. And then the rest kind of come naturally. Um, my biggest concern right now, I guess, for this industry is that uh, because it has been commercialized in many extent, which, again, I look at as a very much a good thing. Um, obviously, I run two, you know, cybersecurity businesses, so that's a, that's a great thing. Um, but the the concern I have now is that we always talk about the skill shortage gap in cybersecurity, and what they mean by skill shortage is that we need people right now that could do the job that have the experience. But what about all these kids that are coming out of college or just coming into the field that have no experience? They're having trouble finding jobs right now, and the college courses that I've seen out there are just horrendous for the most part. Not all of them. There's some really good pro out there. But these college classes, I mean, I had I had a kid, um, I just got done this morning, actually, I was at a careers day, I went to a high school, a local high school. And, um, you know, the one of the kids it was a sophomore that came in, it was, so it was, it was a, a freshman to seniors, but someone from a college software class that was interested in security came to this as well. And I said, well, what'd you spend your semester on? He's like, oh, we're doing ethical hacking right now. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, you know, uh, have you guys been able to use like Kali Linux yet or Metasploit? They're like, Oh, no, no, no. They have us just using FTK uh, this entire semester. I'm like, okay, like, have you done any type? Like, what's your next semester look like? Oh, it's more on like autopsy and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, God. Um, okay. And, you know, but I mean, that's these classes. You have professors that are not people in cybersecurity, haven't, you know, developed this type of curriculum before, and they're piecing together things. And unfortunately, these kids are coming out with little to no foundational support. To be honest, you know, it, unless you're going to like the NSA accredited classes that are out there for, you know, like um, the NSA cyber operator stuff that they have, which are amazing classes. I think there's only 16 colleges that um, have that certification. I mean, I would probably just focus on a computer science degree uh, because you're going to get much more understanding, you know, how computers work, programming, and then, and then applying that to, um, you know, cybersecurity is a lot easier than, you know, running the, the roulette of, you know, whether or not you actually go to a, a good cybersecurity course. So, you know, and if colleges are out, cool. If not, you know, there's so many options available. But I think it's, again, focusing on your passion that you like doing and homing in. And there's so much information. I mean, you have Hack in the Box, you know, various certs and courses you can go through, like offensive security, hands-on applied type stuff. You have stuff that, that isn't cert-based that you can learn from. So it's just making making it your hobby, I think, is the biggest thing I could say to people just getting into this industry. Yeah, man, I think a lot of company. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finally of... let one of my other guests follow up on the line of questioning and i'm going to shut up from although there is one in the chat uh 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 the real one i am following up on that later but not right now continue def no i was gonna say i think a lot of companies also need to kind of get a a high level understanding of what cybersecurity is because if you look at some of the job descriptions they're ridiculous oh we yeah. want a master's or a phd and you have to have 15 years it's like really i mean first of all you're looking for an entry-level position and you're asking for a master's degree with 10 years experience or five years or whatever the case is. Let's be realistic. No one's going to be out there uh, who's going to have the experience that's going to want to take an entry-level job. So I think a lot of companies also need just to be more educated. And as you looking for employment, you also want to do your due diligence on any company you want to work for. Because uh, cybersecurity is so wide. And like the company from company is so different that you may end up getting pigeonholed into a company under a cybersecurity um, title and has nothing to do with cybersecurity. It's more about babysitting logs or looking at 
a raft and making sure things are okay, which is just more operational stuff. So that's the other thing is, if you're really keen to go in cybersecurity, make sure you not only get your certs, get your education, really do your diligence in um, getting yourself prepared, but also look at the company you go into because they will also yeah. help your progression in the field. Yeah, and one thing I'll say about that too, you know, when we are looking for candidates, uh, we require you know 17 different degrees. And uh, just kidding, um, you know, we <laughs> we we look at things from family a lineage. Of how <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of your, all of your family must be in cybersecurity. Uh, you have, yeah. but um, it's one of those things where we look at, you know, one, how do we mentor new people coming in? That it's a cost to do that, right? You know, and we're a consulting shop, so for well, at least at at, at Trusted Tech, and at Trusted Tech, you know, we have to look at that and say, well, how long is it going to take us to get these resources billable so that we can then, you know, recoup, you know, money from them and be profitable as a, as a company? You know, basic, you know, business one hundred and one. We you know, have people, we have to make money and that, that, that allows for employment. So, you know, when we're hiring folks um, that are coming out of these college degree, uh, college classes, you know, if they, if they don't have foundational stuff, it takes us about two years to train them to a point to where we can actually put them on an engagement. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then, you know, after that, that's a, that's a long time investment for an individual kids that, that go through these NSA credit classes, usually not much from a ramp up time period, get into consulting pools where they more of a junior and then mentor off of more of a, a senior level resource to get into those. So, you know, I think the courses really have a big deal. But what we also look at, you know, from a from a personnel perspective when we're hiring, and this is a good good thing to differentiate yourself if you're looking at getting in cybersecurity, is that the the qualification stuff is typically in HR the bare minimum that you need. Don't get me wrong, totally crazy in some of those ones. Like they're hey, like hey, you have to have one year of experience in a CISP. Well, hey, CISP, you need several years of experience to get a CISP. Doesn't make any sense, right? So there's a lot of the HR bureaucracy that too. Um, so the bare minimum is is what's listed on the qualifications, right? But what we look at is like, hey, okay, so you have master's degree or you have done this type of stuff that meets these qualifications. Cool. What what differentiates you than anybody else out there from a resume perspective? Granted, we have never met face to face. I've never seen you before. I don't know you from anybody else. So are there things that you've done, um, you know, that that differentiate you from others? So you know. Let, do you have a GitHub page associated to it? I'm not expecting you to have written the next iteration of, of Metasploit, but you know, do you have projects that you've done you know, to show your code? Or have you done hack in the box? Have you done other courses and things like that to learn? You know, um, are you in the process of going through like the OSCP or something like that? You know, what are things that you're doing that, that make you a little bit different? And that gets you to you know, the interview stage. And then once you get to the interview stage, what I'm looking for is, one, are they coachable uh, you know, individuals? You know, are they folks that will can learn off of others because I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. Um, you know, you probably have a good foundation, but I'm going to teach you how this works inside of this, this company, give you the experience that you need and, and grow you to, you know, senior and your whole career, whatever. And then, you know, two, uh, do they have the excitement and passion to be in this position and job, right? And if I see those two things and, you know, they already have demonstrated the knack to be able to be a self-starter and learn, most likely I'm going to hire that individual uh, for that position, right? And I think that's the biggest difference that I see um, for, for people that are hire versus people who won't hire. If they're just like, hey, I'm coming out of college and I'm expecting six figures and you need to give me this and you need to give me that and you need to give me this. I'm like, yeah, hey, it's not going to be a good fit. Sorry, like I, I can't, you know, that's not going to work. Um, however, if you're hungry and you want to learn, I will make you successful, right? And, and that's, that's what I try to instill in folks that, you know, I talk to is like, hey, it's a big field. There's so many different specialties and areas. 
technical, non-technical compliance, all the way to response and defense and, you know, you know, home in on what you want to do and then show your passion through that. And, you know, good things come, come after that. Yeah. Building on that, Dave, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. It really comes down to curiosity. Curiosity is key, right? If you're curious about something you're interested, it goes back to that, that core hacker mindset, which is you're curious about the system. What does it do? How does this work? I'm really interested in folks at, at Trimark and, and really interested in talking with people at conferences when they're curious and they're interested about something. Like, how does this work? Dig into it, figure it out. One of the things I think holds people back a lot in the industry is, oh, well, we've already discovered all the things about X, you know? And I think that hopefully people have seen that that's, that's not the case at all. I mean, we thought NTLM Relay was the, 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 the big thing within Windows and Active Directory. And then someone figured out how to Kerberos Relay. And someone figured out how to relay something else. And then there's something else. So it's, it's, there's different elements of what people can do and the research, but it's all always, or it always seems to be something where you are standing on the, the achievements of others that came before and building and creating and, and shifting and pivoting off those things. And without that curiosity, you don't identify what those possibilities are around that. Um, I, I always like to say that I fail to success. Like I have a ton of failures that no one will will hear about uh, unless you watch my B-Sides Charm Talk from a few years ago called Fail Time. But really it comes down to trying things, figuring out what doesn't work, and then trying to see if there's something else there. And it's entirely possible that you identify that something takes down a, a server or a, a, a service when you're testing and doing your research. Um, the next step off of that is an RCE if you're interested in that part of it. But InfoSec is so large that there's so many opportunities for people that have different skill sets. Like Danny said, you don't have to be an elite hacker in order to be in the industry or to have a job in IT. Um, the other thing I want to mention is that everyone who works in IT and supports information technology, you are involved in security in one way or another. So don't feel like you can't shift over into InfoSec proper just because you feel like you're doing operational type activities. It's about the curiosity. Uh, we've worked with many ops team members uh, with customers all around the world. And some of these folks that are managing Active Directory, managing Azure AD, managing VM VMware, they are more on top of the security side of things than some of the security folks that you know I've talked to in the past. And I think that curiosity, that interest, that desire to figure the system out, what it can do, and how to really protect it is, is the core of that. And then the soft skills help from there as well. Well, it's it's interesting, Sean, because uh, you know you look at at how you kind of came through and how I you know became familiar with you. You know, you saw a need on the directory security initially, right? And and I mean a lot more than that too. But I mean, you basically were able to take what others had done from a foundational perspective and just amplify it ten thousand feet because of of your research and homing in, understanding how things operate and work, and then from there taking it to the next level to where I would say. You know, Microsoft is, you know, as a company is better off because of your research, right? The industry is better off because of your research. And you were able to solidify yourself as being like the AD guy, you know, in the industry. Um, you know, anytime I think AD, I'm like, yeah, hey, Sean, like we're Sean. Like, I, you know, like, so, you know, you, you know, it wasn't that Active Directory was new. Uh, Active Directory had been around for years and years and years and years, but it really had never been a deep dive into what AD was and the awareness around how important it was from, you know, a complexity perspective, trust relationships. And then you see, you know, um, you know, other folks, you know, doing the same type of stuff, you know, we had the ADCS stuff, um, you know, with, with harm join those guys, you know, I mean, 
it's just, you know, that, that whole compounded industry is a whole area of focus and that you can go into and just diving into the subjects, understanding it. And then, you know, from there, you know, building yourself up from it. And, you know, you did a job with that to solidify who you were, in there, right? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate Dave. Thank you for the, for the huge kudos. Um, one of the things that I did for my first talks and actually talk that I put in the first, in my first uh, DerbyCon many years ago and meeting Dave at Shaka Khan was basically just pulling things together and kind of chaining things that other people had done, identifying what are these attacks? How could these put to, be put together in interesting ways and building on that and going, okay, well, this is what, how, this is how you could attack Active Directory. This is how you could get domain admin. What does that look like? And then what could you do? How could you persist with that? How could you compromise that environment and keep it that way for a while? And then flip over to the other side. What is the defensive methods around that? How do you protect that? And one of the things, that, Dave, I loved about your Shaka Khan talk back in uh, 2015 was that Dave would take a, a topic and go, okay, I wreck this environment by doing this. And defenders, here's what you sh what you, you do in order to protect against this, and here are the ways to detect it. And then I shifted my entire conference um, presentation methodology around that, which was here's the attack, here's the way to defend it, and then wrap it up at the end with here's a great way to really ensure that you have you level up your security. And all my conference talks since then, I have used that model, and that seems to work very well. So I appreciate what you've done, Dave, and. and is showing these things at, at a level that people can understand them and, and say, yeah, a lot of this isn't really that difficult, but building on them and expanding these things and finding these issues, doing the research and really digging into stuff, that's that's the kind of the part which can set you, you apart. That's that's the element that can set you apart from others. So it, it, it's all about this podcast, right? The demystifying hacking. That's essentially what we're doing. We're saying, hey, here's how this attack works. Let's take the magic out of this. And then let's show what this is actually doing that you can defend against it. I think, you know, I, I came, when I first came into this industry, the penetration testing industry was very closed off. Uh, it wasn't sharing much with Blue, and nor did Blue really understand what that meant, right? So it was very myopically of, hey, there's an exploit here from this specific vulnerability, from this specific patch that we were able to exploit. They didn't care about any of the other stages behind that. They didn't care about lateral movement or past the hash or anything else. It was that specific vulnerability fix that vulnerability and all of a sudden we're supposed to be fine, right? And, you know, it's the the tact, you know, you hear the term a lot, it's, it's obviously uh, used quite a bit, but the tactics, techniques, and procedures of attackers are really where our focus has always should have been, which is, hey, how do attackers operate by, because we're gonna have that one missing patch somewhere, you know, and how do we formulate a strategy to defend against it? Let's take the magic out of it. Let's take the, the crazy zero days and stuff like that that somebody did and let's take the magic out of that and let's actually show what this means but why it's important to understand the latter stages and i think once we started to get that i think you saw an acceleration in infosec far beyond what i would have expected in a very short period of time and i think that was you know a credit to a lot of folks in the industry really coming out there and saying hey you know let's take the mystique out of this 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 hacking stuff and let's focus more on how enterprises can defend against it and really that that purple approach that red and blue kind of coming together to make a difference in that organization the world technology etc is really cool to see yeah and unfortunately i think there's also an old school mentality that happens in a lot of industries not just infosec where there's there's gatekeeping that happens and it's like oh well pay no attention to this this is kind of magic uh what happens behind the curtain is is you know magical because we're the wizards and so i think breaking that down and getting rid of that mentality and going you know, I, I worked with a guy who had an approach and, and he had wired up the rack and the, the, the equipment closet so that he was the only one that knew where things connected. 
And he's like, that's job security. And I was like, no, that means you never go on vacation. You never get time off because anytime there's a problem, you're the one that they, they have to go to. I want to make sure that I build myself out of a job whenever I'm working somewhere. I want to make sure I have things documented so that way I can move on to other things that are more interesting. If I feel like I've completed this or check that off, mission accomplished, move on to the next thing. And if you are constantly trying to build these kind of castles or empires or whatever and, and making sure that you're the person that has to be the one involved, I feel like you can never branch beyond that. And it's important to, like we're saying, demystify the hacking stuff. What you see in the movies, some of it on the Mr. Robot side, probably a little more realistic. Some of it on the other side, um, the, the cheesy movies. Uh, one of my favorite movies is The Core. Uh, it's a great like popcorn flick. But, of course, the hacking is totally unrealistic. But it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's a popcorn flick. So it's important to re also recognize that some of this stuff is, is kind of fantastical, so to speak. Um, I remember watching a movie recently, and they were going around and attacking different things. And I was like, okay, that looks realistic. And then I started realizing that, you know, the stuff that we do at Trimark, the stuff that other companies do at Trust2Sec and, and Red Siege and others, like these are the things that are helping to improve the security of these organizations and these situations in the movies where these attackers are going after a system. And yes, I use the word attacker very specifically and not hacker. Um, they're going after the system and trying to take it down. These security companies are really trying to, especially the ones that I mentioned, Trusted Sec, Trimark, and, and Red Siege, and, and others like it, like Black Hills, really trying to make things better, trying to uh, publish information in the community, get information out there, so that way not just our customers are the ones that we can improve, but also help the community at large. And I think, Dave, that's another thing that I really appreciate and respect you for, is a focus on community. Publishing tools, publishing information, doing conference talks. I don't think I've ever seen someone do as many conference talks as you do i i don't think dave i, I think dave has a, an automatic yes response when you email him or message him like hey dave can you speak at my conference i keep telling um, him no get, slight on i keep telling him to get an assistant to like be a body blocker for those things and dave's like nah, yeah and that's no slight on dave D dave you're amazing and i i don't know how you keep up with that i mean you, you talked earlier at a high school and and i'm sure you've got five conferences that you have probably uh tomorrow that, that you're doing but um, I think it's impressive and I appreciate the community aspect of it and when I built Trimark I wanted to make sure that was a core element as well so, yeah, so one, one thing I'd like to throw out there too is that um, I know a lot of red teams go oh it's us against them and we're going to win they're going to lose and it's like if you're a red team and you're winning you're automatically losing uh, because it's not about you versus them it's about the company So, and you guys should be working together that's when you're talking about the purple team like synergy between red and blue needs to happen, always you're gonna be destined to fail going forward. Um, yeah, the, so the mentality of, I know not. Yeah, the mentality of of you know we're the best hackers are the best, you know that type of stuff is, is you know you you want to say that that is is legacy or old school, but it's really still not right. I mean, it's still prevailing in our industry, and you know it's it's something that you know we have to really take a look at and say, yeah, I mean. When somebody does some new research, you know, I, I jump up and applaud because that research, you know, is, you know, countless hours of, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning binges. And I'm not saying that's the greatest thing you want to do from your health perspective, but, you know, I've all been there, yeah. uh, you know, for <laughs> yeah, I've been there for so long, um, you know, and, and you want to compliment the person for the amount of effort and work that they've done and also sharing their research to make, you know, that product or that company or whatever ends up being... Uh, or, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, mentality comes down to what you just said right here, which is, you know, our, our whole position here is to essentially make the world a safer place when it comes to technology, right? 
And whether that's our organization that we're working with or whether it's a animal device or, you know, a Jeep, those things are, are all technological things that, that run every single day of our life. And we always want to try to make our make those those products, those things better to protect people, to protect information, to protect our societies, to protect our intellectual properties, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being your customers. Um, and I think that's a noble cause. And I think, you know, a lot of people lose sight of that where it becomes more of a competition of who's more elite than, than the other, you know, can't get around stuff. And I think a little bit of competition is good, you know, especially if it's a mature program, but with always the mindset that you're, you're, you're trying to raise that bar. So it's even harder for you next time to get in. Right. And I think the, the cloak and dagger stuff that we used to do, um, you know, the transparency that we have now with red and blue, I think that's, that's getting more and more corrected as time goes along. Um, but it's just going to be some of those things I think we have to, you know, continue to, to, to talk about so that it, it gets, you know, gets out of kind of our systems uh, where it's collaborative, not about winning. Right. So yeah. Dave, Dave I, I have, I have two questions for you um, and, and they're, and they're tied together. So I'm going to jump in here, Danny. Um, the first question is what is the most interesting attack path that you've identified when going against the customer? And how did that work together? How were you able to, to, to identify that? And it, complicated it's good, but something that's very interesting that you're like, I never would have seen this before. I never would have thought about this before. And then what, tying into that, what is a, a customer detection or configuration that just stumped you and maybe your team? And you're just like, this is a really tough environment to go after. We have to figure out something else. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to my team because the example I'm going to use for this one is a, a attack path that uh, one of our red teamers used that I thought was absolutely brilliant. And you know, when you read those reports, sometimes you're coming through teams, it's some of these are you're like, how did you even think of that? Like, that's totally crazy. And, um, you know, so I think, you know, from a uh, story perspective, uh, this is before SMS became popular. And so this is a few years ago where we used the pretext of we, you know, it did open source intelligence gathering against the company. Um, and then we pretext their their SMS authentication mechanism that they use for two-factor authentication. We found a cross-site scripting issue on one of their sites, and then we basically did a fish. Uh, but what was what was great about it was, you know, thinking about how humans think, we sent a text message to um, the individual saying, you know, the individual that we're targeting that we wanted access to, saying that we were going to be, um, you know, doing some maintenance with the multi-factor authentication system uh, within the next week at this specific time of this specific period. You know, uh, you may need to repair your device in order to ensure you get, you know, uh, SMS notifications. And so, you know, we pretexted it with that and we let it sit for a while so that they saw it and they knew. So it was in the back of their head. And so that when we actually um, did the uh, MFA challenge, the person accepted it, you know, it was push notification, accepted it and allowed us in, we happened to be an IT resource that had, you know, admin rights over the infrastructure. Um, so, you know, it's the, I think it's the the creativity of one, knowing thing from a technology perspective, but also two, you know, um, using technology in a way that it was designed, but, it, you know, quality. Um, so that's one of my fun ones because it's kind of a human element and getting around location and using that, you know, target somebody that is technically savvy in many cases that should have, you know, probably identified that, but didn't because, you know, it was all within the normal confines and context of what you'd expect. And, you know, what we think about fishing too, it's like that exercise, you know, that we always taught is it has to be a sense of urgency right now, right? So we're like, hey, take the sense of urgency away right now. Like, hey, next week, by the way, we're gonna be doing some system maintenance at this time. Totally chill, no issue, don't have to worry about it now. Oh man, it's an annoyance. I just got this multi-factor authentication push. Okay, you're all set, right? So we took a lot of the things that were taught from a training and education perspective, flipped it around and used all those kind of things against it, which I thought was 
which is pretty neat. Um, and, and that blends in with what the normal cadence and flow of IT operations is. Hey, by the way, here's a notification. We're doing this. Okay, well, right. this seems normal. I see this. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and accept it. I The pretexting, I think with you and, and members of your team, it often comes back to social engineering because I think that that's kind of where your, your thought process goes. And I think that follows with the hacker mindset. So yeah, the, the follow-up question about what's a way that a, a, an organization really detected you or, or figured something out that, that was able to stop you in interesting ways or something that you maybe haven't seen before? Yeah, so we when we go after an organization, um, you know, usually the technology that they're using, whether it's an EDR product or an endpoint, whatever the firewalls, web application firewalls, whatever it ends up being from a preventative mechanism perspective, we pr pr pretty much know ahead of time going into there what they have because we've already done a number, a number of you know, open source uh, reconnaissance efforts, you know, open source intelligence gathering reconnaissance efforts. Maybe we did a prefish just to profile their, their system so that when they communicate to or profile their, their system, it doesn't do anything malicious. It's just understanding their technology stack. And um, so we have a pretty good idea when we're going after a company, what their technology is. So, you know, all of the attacks and tools and methods that we use circumvent that specific product. We, you know, have a research division that goes through and make sure that, hey, if they're using X product, we can get around it so that we don't get detected. No problem. Okay. Um, so we have those capabilities built. It's great. The, the the issue that you run into, and this is a, a good lesson for, for security today, is that pre-canned, out-of-the-box stuff, if it's a decent attacker, can most likely circumvent when you've made that product your own in your own environment of what looks normal and what doesn't. That's when we have a really, really tough time. And so um, we got into this organization, and it's a funny story because it was more of a longer-term endeavor where – you know, we had to, uh, you know, it was, uh, we had to wait for the right opportunity. So uh, there was an exploit that came, a real tough customer, mature customer. We uh, found an exploit um, that they had for one of those things and it just come out. We wrote it for, you know, the proof of concept came out. We wrote the exploit, got it working, shot it out to an individual. We got remote code execution onto the system, uh, got our payload, C2, everything's good. We're on the system, right? So we, we it was it was one of those ones where it's like, hey, if something opportunistic comes up for this company, go and use that to to go after the organization. They cared less about the what, but more so what happened post exploitation again, which is where you want to be at from a customer perspective. And we got code execution on the system. We got our C two. Everything's great. We're all high fiving. Everything's perfect. And what this company did that 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 really screwed us in this in this sense was they um, they categorized. They went over an exercise that categorized technical people versus non technical people. So if you had a, an IT role or something like that, you'd be looked in, a, in, a, in an active directory group, and if you were like a sales role, or marketing role, it'd be non-technical. And if they saw any type of commands being executed on a non-technical person, triggered alarm to the sock. And now we're not going to drop into a shell or things like that, but we just, we just, we're just, you know, looking at the system, trying to figure out anything else. We didn't use like net user or anything like that, but they, they tripped on one of the things that we're looking at that, that emulated a technical person um doing something on the system which bubbled up and we got shut down on that system like within like 10 minutes and you know you know we're all like you know like, super pissed because you know like we just spent all this time weaponizing this exploit we had every resource on it we got code execution we dropped our custom c2 that no one knows about that still hasn't been detected over the past several years and all of a sudden everything's good to go we're like high-fiving each other and then all of a sudden 10 minutes later we're booted out so it was definitely the uh you know, talk about the competition aspect but also happy you know um you know we we were clapping on the phone for the as they they got us and uh, I thought it was really good success for them so it's the it's the approach of understanding your environment whether that's you know cloud or on-prem and looking at what your 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 um, you know what is normal behavior and what's not really made a big difference and still continues to make a big difference
for us when we're going to an organization because it's like running over a landmine field. You don't know what you're going to step on, right? Dave, um, first of all, how's your schedule today? Do I just have you until three? Because I have a, a few more. But if you got to run, I have closing questions for you. No, I'm still, I'm still good. All right, good. awesome. Um, there was one that came up this week that I really wanted to hit. I didn't want to forget about it because uh, we don't. I don't think we talk enough. We usually give like a passing, like that ah, cybersecurity programs and colleges haven't caught up and blah 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 blah. Right? Like I think we pretty much all all believe that. I mean, there are probably some good ones coming up, but I have yet to see it. I didn't go through a cybersecurity degree program at any university at all. Uh, my associate degree was irrelevant in 2002 when it came out. Um, I don't know if you saw this week recently talking about demystifying it for, for kids who are in cybersecurity uh, uh, degree programs who are trusting their outlooks to be shaped by academics. Uh, I have the quote up on the screen. I'll read it to you uh, from a Joe Cutler who has since locked down his account, which I mean, probably a good idea. My advisor is buying me a new laptop. I just learned that delivery is gonna be intercepted by Penn University so they can set up the machine. I pressed and said they were installing spyware software called CrowdStrike. What does that say? Just now, there's a whole thread on this, right? There's a whole, who he got beat up. Followed it. He, yeah, have you? yeah, he got beat up pretty good. What? How could? How could we? Like, I don't know how we could have a, a have have a, have a brighter vision of cybersecurity programs, and we can start to describe what's wrong with this. First of all, yeah, I mean, one, I think lack of experience, right? In in the corporate side, you know, they have a very myopic of how is run. Uh, you know, they have a lot of folks that are probably very much in the same type of group think, uh, and. You know, it's no different than um, early hackers and the the whole government surveillance stuff and you know things to that effect, right? And and so I can see from a you know privacy perspective uh, their view. Okay, uh, I'm not condoning obviously that statement in any way, shape, or form, and it's obviously ridiculous. You know, it's an for for detecting intrusions, not spying on them. Um, but you know, there is obviously some concern folks around telemetry data coming from people or myself and. Be eavesdrop and do those types of things. So I get that aspect. Um, the The issue that I have here is I will see a lot of folks coming from academia uh, that have unrealistic expectations and demands what what our business should be doing for, right? Um, and, and whether that's, uh, you know, curtailing our hours or, you know, you know, specific salary demands or um, you know, uh, exceptions that I have to put in place, uh, i.e. no security software or monitoring, you know, th things that are, that are unrealistic uh, expectations, right? And, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's great to dismiss it. And I honestly, I, the guy was, the guy was very rude back to people. So I understand the, the pileup. I don't like how, and, and, and social media is designed this way. I don't like how we pile on people uh, for mistakes that were made. You know, obviously this kid doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, doesn't know what it looks like in corporate environment. Yes, he has expectations set about, you know, things that are going to be, you know, fairly standard throughout his career in life. And if he doesn't, he's probably not going to be very successful in that career. Um, but it's also easy to, to tar and feather somebody too. So I'm kind of in the middle there saying, I kind of understand where he's coming from. I don't support that because it's obviously not how the real world works. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, he probably should have not said some of the things he said back as kind of the, 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 comments that he made to some some individuals and folks and i think he called somebody a bootlicker or something like that yeah
you know, so, you know, disrespectful, obviously, in many cases. And, you know, if, if that attitude doesn't curb, he's probably not going to be very successful in, in corporate environment, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think this was a good, uh, a good exercise in nuance, right? Like, this could have went several dozen different ways. Um, and I, I think it's like, I, I always come at it from the aspect of like, you know, like me 10 years ago when I was just getting into security, I believed a lot and I believed anything like with somebody who I thought had authority had to say, uh, some people use social media likes and impressions as authority measures, right? Like 170,000 right. views. You, you, see, you see the numbers right there, uh, on the thing. So yeah, I, I think it was a good, like, I wanted to get your take on it cause good exercise and nuance, like, I get why you might not know it, but when you double down and all of his other academics came in there too, would somebody made the comment of like, just install Gen 2 or Arch, that'll take care of it. And I was like, I don't think it's going to solve your problem, bro. <laughs> I, I I think you just created two new problems for yourself. And, and hopefully, hopefully you didn't take any of the comments of like, Hey, you know, demands as willing to listen, you know, to, to folks, you know, that, that are looking for things because listen, I would love to offer everybody, you know, five million dollars. Okay, I would love to be able to do that. Like, if I, if I had that, I could do, and I could do that, I would do that. Away all my money, like Mr. Beast and the thousand people that he's you yes. know, from blindness or whatever, and he got shit for that. I'm like, you know, so gotta bleep that out. Sorry, um, but then you know the, um, you know, it's it's those types of things where you're like, hey, you know, the guy's genuinely trying to help, you know, people. Like, if he has the capabilities to do that, that's that's absolutely fantastic. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I run a business, and you know. Maybe I, you know, maybe you you're you're making, you know, ninety thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, and I can bill you out for you know two hundred thousand dollars, and I have a twenty percent profit margin, which allows me to expand the company and grow a little bit more. You know, like those are how businesses work. Like if I just broke even all the time, we would just be the same company, the same amount of people. You know, we wouldn't be able to do promotions or raises and take care of people or do better insurance or you know you know trainings, things like that. Because you so a lot of people don't understand how businesses operate and work, and that's fine. You're not supposed to, but you know, I think that the, the the lesson in this one is if you're coming into this industry, have some humility, uh, have some passion, uh, don't come in with an ego and uh, learn from others, but also know that you can craft and forge your own way. And that the way that people have been doing it before, it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be the way that you need to do moving forward. So there's so much opportunity here and learning lessons, I guess, but hopefully our next generation learns that. Um, I mean... I don't think you should enter any company guns blazing um, on your first first day and stuff. Like, maybe get a lay of the land and then you can make some changes. Dev's yeah, talking about me my first day in Trimac. Yeah, I really looked good two weeks before <laughs> I made a bunch of changes. Um, Dev, um, okay, first of all, <laughs> I have a hoodie on because I had my workout shirt on and I didn't want that to happen. Uh, but speaking of which, somebody asked in the chat, Dave, now that we've talked about all this, which another big part of demystifying hacking is knowing when to blow off steam, right? Like it's frustrating work. It's a lot of brain intensive work. It's a lot of rage inducing work sometimes. Uh, one person in the chat asked, what do you do? Uh, or like, how do you find time to get as good as you are and still find time to lift heavy things? Somebody asked that in chat. Alluding yeah, to Dave's look, weightlifting. <laughs> if, you, if you look at my, my, my Twitter stream, you'd probably think that I lift seven hours a day, right? And, uh, and that's not true. You know, I, you know I, what I do is I wake up in the morning prior to getting done, knock out you know, a workout routine, whether that's running or HIIT training, whether that's lifting weights. Um, I always try to get my workouts done in the morning before everybody wakes up because it's one of those things where you know, I, I don't have any distractions. And the most important part about it is I've already accomplished something good for myself. I feel good about myself. So I start the day on a positive. 
So my day's already great, right? Now, the day can go to, go to complete crap and, and, you know, in a handbasket, but at the end of the day, I still did something really good. So, you know, it's not a complete wash of, of a day. Um, so I think it's just making it a priority and finding time to be able to do it. And, and don't get me wrong. It's not like, you know, everybody's busy. It's not because everybody's like, oh, man, you run two companies and you do this and do that. No, no. We're all busy. It doesn't matter what our positions are, our titles, what we've done, where we are in our careers. Every single person is busy. Um, so it's a matter of prioritizing your time to spend time for yourself. And one thing I'll tell you is, you know, for those that, don't, that haven't known me, I, mean, I was very big. I used to be, you know, 315 pounds. Uh, I had heart issues. I had heart surgery to correct it. I was uh, uh, having a number of health ailments that uh, my doctor basically came to me and said, listen, if you don't curve your changes, you don't change your lifestyle, you're not going to be around for your kids. That's a pretty bold statement uh, to make. So at that point in time, I was like, okay, I need to change it. But I mean, I was, you know, out partying all the time. I was out drinking until two or three o'clock in the morning with friends. You know, I code until three o'clock in the morning. I remember some of my comment code in set, uh, the social engineer toolkit had too drunk to code. We'll code later. Uh, or this shit is, or, or there's comment in there saying, I don't know what I wrote the night before, but that's fucking magic and it's awesome. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's like, it's like, you look at that code, you're like, what was I doing there? I don't even know how I wrote that. It's like, it's amazing. And you're like, I'm not gonna even touch it. It's just code that will remain forever. I don't even know what it does. So, you know, um, you know, but but that was not healthy, right? You know, you know, staying up till three, four, five o'clock, six o'clock, sometimes sleeping, not sleeping at all for 48 hours, um, you know, uh, and and thinking that was a badge of honor, uh, you know, and and pushing out new new I remember coding on an airplane, getting off the airplane, going to the hotel, coding there, you know, getting done, you know, staying up till three o'clock in the morning, getting up on the airplane again, coding, you know, it was that was my entire life, right? And, you know, I'm glad I did a lot of that because it taught me a lot what to do. But at the same time, I, you know, it was destroying my body. It was destroying myself. And I felt just absolutely horrible because of it. So, you know, I had to make a change. And, um, you know, what I can honestly say is, yes, we live in a stressful thing, but don't make work your life. You know, you don't need to work 80 hours a week. You don't need to destroy yourself uh, making a name for yourself. Uh, you know, have fun with it. Do it within a hour week and, you know, have a good time doing it and then spend time for, spend time for your family. Uh, you know, those are the most important things in life because you don't get a duo, you know, as I look back at it and I'll tell you, um, last thing I'll, I'll wrap up on a lot, but COVID for me, you know, obviously horrible situation, you know, uh, disastrous, but what it allowed me to do was reprioritize my focus on my family, which I thought was really important. And uh, so I don't travel as much. Yes, I still do speaking engagements, but I got to coach my kids basketball teams heavily involved in their lives, you know, and caught it right at the right time. So you know, for me, uh, I think a reprioritization of your family and your health uh, is most important. And then from there, you know, rest of the line job support, you know, that that lifestyle. So it's a uh, it's a hard lesson I needed to learn. I almost died because of it. But, you know, I'm much stronger because of it. So, um, yeah, same here. Uh, and you're the reason why I'm wearing my workout clothes underneath my hoodie right now. Um, and one more question. This was too weird not to ask you, like. I think you know this person. His 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 screen name is the real O N C E E. The real ones. Uh, who's your favorite hacker to share a urinal next to? <laughs> I, it, I, I don't know. And, I want to uh, know. <laughs> so funny story about that. So Bill Auntie, uh, he, um, he uh, phenomenal by the way. He uh, works at uh, uh, teaches uh, the cybersecurity curriculum over at Marsh Marshall, uh, and uh, he's a great guy. By the way. Uh, I've known him for years, but uh, the early stages of DerbyCon, prior to DerbyCon ever happening, there was a free class that we, a bunch of us held, you know, Martin Pure Hate was there, uh, Adrian, a number of other folks, just like the really early stages of, of, of DerbyCon. Like this is, this is like DerbyCon 0.1 basically. 
And uh, it was a free Metasploit class that you could go to for uh, for a day. And uh, we basically had like 300 people show up to this thing. It was free. I was like, we're like, oh, we need a bigger venue. This is awesome. It was huge. So we just did exploit development, teaching everybody inside out of Metasploit. You know, again, demystifying the thing. And that's really what spawned uh, DerbyCon in our heads. It's like, hey, this is an awesome community event where people learned it was free, you know, make it accessible to a lot of people. And uh, the the peeing next to, to one is um, I was uh, taking a taking you know, I was peeing in the in the in the well in the bathroom as one does sure yeah that's right as one does in the bathroom traditionally um, and, <laughs> yeah yeah I was like why did it take me so long to think about the bathroom but uh, so uh, I was peeing in the bathroom and uh, there was somebody next to me and I saw on Twitter later on is that uh, it was Bill saying oh my god I just peed next to Dave Kennedy um, so Bill and I became good friends after that. And you know, we got to pee next to each other, and uh, that's how we formally met each other and became friends. So. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure what's the yep. creepier tweet, that or the dude who did the creep shot at John Hammond coming out of a con. I don't know if you saw that. Like, somebody took a picture of John Hammond, and it was like a sniper's view. It didn't have, like, it was just a really far away shot. And John's like, I'm not really sure how I feel about this. And then it turned into a meme for a long time. Um, but, uh, okay, yeah, I had to ask that question. Uh, Bill, Bill, Bill Garner, Bill Garner's good people, so good, good, I'm glad you joined on, man, and uh, he does a great job over at uh, Marshall University, so great, great, great security, security he, program, he, one of the good universities. Yeah, he also said, I also miss Fat Dave sometimes. <laughs> hey, Fat Dave was an awesome guy. <laughs> awesome guy. I'm, still, I'm still that guy. I'm still that guy. Just, uh, I might crush, I might just might crush you when I hug you, that's all. Uh, final thoughts from anybody else on our panel before we get out of here because Dave's a very busy man. Um, and- yeah, I, I have a I have a quick wrap up thought uh, question for Dave. Do you feel like security today, tomorrow is getting better? Is it getting worse, or is it about the same? Or is it is there a nuance there that that you want to add to or, or or cover? I think it's it's as a whole gotten a lot better. Um, I think we have the people the right visibility than we've ever had you know the the biggest battle that we have is like oh you know this you know the company's not taking security seriously well i mean if you don't do that now i mean you get hammered in the media you know sec violations your board is firing people so you know i think the the visibility part that we always used to complain about is gone right and that was the biggest hurdle now it's a matter of what do we do and what's the most effective strategy the problem is is that you know you you have people in leadership positions that are bad leaders and they have bad strategy and they are like, hey, we have all of these, you know, historical legacy issues from this company. We're just going to slap products on top of it and then we're going to call it good, right? Versus, you know, building a security program within an organization, which takes a lot of time and effort and things like that. So I think, you know, um, as a whole, the industry is much more respected and we have more visibility. But we also have to you know, recognize that it's uh, to to the comment earlier um, around, uh, you know, uh, not always wanting we also have to recognize that it's not always about security. In fact, like we're just a tiny, 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 tiny piece of a company, right? And a company has a whole risk universe, whether it's supply chain or financial or legal or HR, you know, we're just a small part of that that entire equation. And um, so I think we've started talking the right language. I think we're at the right table. It's just a matter for us to continue to execute it. And we're actually focusing on the right things technically as well, right? You know, we're focusing on hacker strategies and mindsets and who they are and mapping out you know, these, these organizations' capabilities and looking at threat models and building those threat models based on industry verticals and being able to build defenses against those. Like, that's stuff that we always dreamed that we'd want to do. Um, so I think we're in the right path. My only concern is that, you know, uh, big disruptors in technology that, you know, technology is moving at such a rapid pace 
will we be able to continue to hold that pace um, as things change? I mean, you're talking, talking about, you know, artificial intelligence and quantum computing, stuff like that. There are going to be major disruptors, uh, I think, you know, probably not in our lifetime, but but definitely in the future. Um, those are things that I think, you know, we need to be cognizant of is that it's always changing. We have to be mindful of that and not be doing things. Um, but I do think we're on the right trajectory, and I think security has gotten a lot better for the most part. Again, there's still really immature companies. There's still companies that don't care about security. There's still companies that are completely vulnerable, and you know, and the industry I think will continue to to try to improve. But you know, as a whole, we've gotten so much better. Great, thank you. So my question for you is, what is your favorite program programming language, and why? Or your two two go to program language? My my go to programming language, hands down, is always going to be Python. You know, just because. It's uh, you know so easy to to build something that you need quickly um, and and be work and understandable you know from an object oriented programming language is one of my favorites um, and you know it's what I did most of my tool development and if you look at you know I think it's look at trusted sec you look at my page it's like like ninety eight percent Python um, but uh, you, you had know, me I mean, at Python <laughs> but I mean I do I do see you know opportunities you know Rust is awesome uh, from perspective uh, GoLang is pretty awesome from computational perspective. You know, sometimes you got to get dirty and get into C++ and assembly for what you're doing from a, a research perspective. So, you know, the language really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but a, like 90% of the time, I'm going to be in, you know, be in Python for sure. Jake, Brandon, final questions for Dave. Closing thoughts. One question. Why isn't Sumo real? It's such a such a debate. Sumo is real. Sumo is I real. Know. I love sumo too. It's okay. <laughs> Sumo's my favorite. Sumo's my favorite. Well, so for tall guys, sumo is the most important because it doesn't destroy your back, right? But uh, oh, for but, anybody who the uninitiated, deadlifting big thing about sumo versus oh. natural. Yeah, so natural deadlifts, you know, you you have uh, more of a closer feet and you're you know kind of lifting from the sides. Whereas sumo, you have you know sumo stance against like sumo sumo wrestler. Um, and there's a big debate in the the meathead industry, uh, you know, like which one's like the real one, right? Sumo's fine. It's regular. Now, let, Dave, let's just call let's just call what it is and band aid off, right? Like sumo isn't real. <laughs> I'm gonna say it right now, sumo's not real. <laughs> Come at me on my private. I do not speak for Trimark Security. <laughs> Trimark Security holds no official opinion about sumo versus natural. I any chance we could talk about Danny after this by any chance. Uh, <laughs> call, you know, just... Absolutely, Dave. We'll, we'll, we'll have we'll have a uh, a drink and zoom at some point for sure. So, can, you put it, like, can you put in the corporate policy that that sumo is real? Uh, you know, <laughs> Trimark holds no official position about sumo versus lots of good people on both sides. Anyway, uh, Brandon, <laughs> any closing thoughts? Uh, I don't have any questions for Dave, but you did an awesome job. It's a Pleasure to just be on stream with you, and, and I uh, strive to be able to pee next to you someday. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's perfect. It, Don't say anything you. else. I'll pee next to you. I'll pee next to you anytime, Brandon. <laughs> that was the perfect closing line. And when I edit this out, that's the last thing people on the, on the podcast on Spotify are going to hear. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, hacking Dave Kennedy. Check out uh, uh, Binary Defense and uh, TrustedSec.com. Sean Metcalf, CTO, founder, CEO of Trimark Security, our generous benefactors for this podcast. Uh, bad code dot 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 horse. 
Jake Hildreth, and of course at Tech Brandon. Visit uh, looking for an assessment. We have Active Directory, we have Azure AD, we have uh, Purple Team, which is Resistance Against Ransomware, and we have our Azure uh, AD and ESXi assessments. Check them out on trimarksecurity.com slash services. For those of you listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, thank you. I didn't know if anybody would, but you're definitely listening to it, so we appreciate it. Uh, next Friday, 2 p.m., probably episode three of Hacking Demystified, if I have my way. Again, Dave, thank you for taking the time, man. Thanks, Thank Dave. you all so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Always good seeing you guys. Yeah. Thanks so much. Love, lo I love Trimark. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Love you. And I assume we're out. Uh, no, we're still doing hot mics, but hey, why not? This is normally the time of the show. This is my favorite, where I forget to tell my guests. Now I'm playing music as it has a nice end ending screen and people talk anyway. So I don't know why I bother doing this, but people are hearing it right now. That's fine. Hot mic for all. This way. Yeah, you don't like puppy spice and sumo and all that. Yeah, sumo isn't real. Uh, Trimarksecurity.com.